All right. That is the cue for the children to be dismissed. The rest of you, take out your outlines. They're in your bulletin this morning. We're going to be talking about connecting with God today. Really, we're going to be asking the question, what is required to pray? We're going to be looking at Matthew chapter 6. That, of course, is uh, a part of the discourse that Jesus shared on the Sermon on the Mount. And a little bit from Luke chapter 11. Let me start off by saying this. The Bible says that Satan has schemes and Satan has plans to ruin your life. He came to steal, kill, and to destroy. And one of Satan's greatest concerns is to keep Christians from praying. Did you know that? And some of you are going, yeah, I know. It's been at least a week since I last prayed. Some said, only a week? God wants us to have a daily quiet time with Him. He wants us to pray with Him every day. But Satan will do whatever he can to thwart even the thought of you praying to God. Because he knows the power of the one that you pray to. Now, if he fails in his primary concern, let's say you're used to having a daily quiet time. You pray every single day. His next goal is to make those daily prayers ineffective and boring. And he actually wants you to think that that prayer isn't making it past the ceiling. Has that ever happened to you? Have you ever felt like you were praying to an iron ceiling and weren't sure if it was making it to God or not? That's one of those schemes, that's one of those tricks, that's one of those little plans that the devil, a little seed he has planted in your mind, don't fall for it. 20 centuries ago, a disciple of Jesus petitioned. Look up here on the screen. Luke chapter 11, verse 1. Lord, teach us to pray just as John taught his disciples to pray. Do you see that word teach? You mean prayer can be taught? Absolutely. John taught his. Jesus' disciples want Jesus to teach them. But you know, these guys had been accustomed to praying all their adult lives. These good little Jewish boys were raised learning to pray. Did you know that a Jew prayed at least twice a day? And normally, by the time you were an adult, you were in the habit of praying between two and five times a day. Every day. And those two prayers that were required, not by the law, but by Jewish custom, I guess you could say, were normally long prayers. They were normally very formal prayers. Outline prayers. Memorized prayers to God. And so they had been in the practice of praying every day, several times a day. And now they come to Jesus and they say, Lord, teach us to pray. So you know they're not really saying, teach us to pray, because they knew to pray, right? And they're not really saying, teach us how to pray, because they knew how to pray. So about the only thing that leaves is what to pray. They saw something 
in Jesus' prayer life that was missing in their own. And so really I think what they're saying is, Lord, would you, would you teach us to pray like you pray? We want to pray like you pray. Where, where prayer seems to be so real and so meaningful. Does the name Ken Sturm ring a bell to any of you? Do you remember that name? All right, there's a few of you still. That guy, he used to work at Sackett and Peters years ago. I don't know what they're, I think it's the goodwill there now. But there was a lady at our church named Joan Dossett. That name will probably ring a bell to some of you. She worked there with him. And one day I was shopping in there for my favorite drink at that time. It was Cactus Cooler. And it's the only place in town where you could find Cactus Cooler. And he happened to be in that section, and Joan happened to be there, and just God in his timing brought us all together. And uh, she introduced me to him, and, and we shook hands. I said, hey, why don't you come see us sometime? Love to have you as a guest at our church. He said, oh, you wouldn't want an old drunk like me there. And, and this is a guy that probably hadn't had a drop of liquor in 25 years. He'd given up years ago. But he was an alcoholic, and he said, no, you guys are the good people. I'm one of those people. You don't want us here. I said, well, come on, give us a try. That's a challenge. I challenged him to come and see. And if he didn't like it, he didn't have to come back. Well, he showed up. And he came to me and said, this is some of the most loving people I've ever met. And he became a believer. I baptized him into Christ. And one day I said, hey, would you mind leading a prayer? And he got up here and prayed some of, didn't he pray some of the most beautiful, powerful, meaning, meaningful prayers that you've ever heard in your life? Why? Because it came from a depth of brokenness. It came from a depth of hurt and heartache. And it came from a sense of what an amazing grace this God that I've discovered and found is. And I said, Lord, teach me to pray like Ken Sturm. I want to pray like that. Because see, I grew up with all these memorized prayers and rote prayers and closing prayers where you said, guide, guard, and direct us and bring us back at the next appointed time, right? <laughs> you had to come from my tradition to know that phrase. But we all were taught that way. Ah, They saw something in Jesus' prayer life they didn't see in their own and man they wanted to pray like our lord didn't they and that led me to go back and look again at matthew chapter 6 and see if i couldn't find some requisites in prayer now notice i said in prayer not to prayer i don't mean requirements in order to pray Uh, anybody can pray anybody can pray and aren't you glad Aren't you glad lost people can pray? Someone says, well, I thought I heard somewhere in the Bible it said God doesn't hear the prayers of sinners. Well, look at the context of that verse and see who it is saying that. Was that an inspired writer? Or was that an inspired writer just quoting someone that wasn't inspired? Look at the context. That's a little clue, all right? But if God doesn't hear the prayers of sinners, what do we do with Cornelius in Acts chapter 10? The first Gentile sinner that comes to Christ. Do you remember what the text says in Acts chapter 10? Cornelius, your prayers have gone up to God as a memorial. Was he saved yet? No, Cornelius wasn't saved yet. 
And yet Cornelius prayed on a regular basis because God heard his prayers and goes, yep, I did say that the gospel is not just for the Jews, but for those that are afar off. And he sent reluctant Peter, if you recall that whole story. You know, God had to give Peter a special vision to go and talk to this Gentile. And the first thing Peter does when he gets to Cornelius' house is saying, well, you know, I'm not supposed to be here. Gentiles do not eat with, or Jews do not eat with Gentiles. And it's, I'm not even supposed to be in your house. But God said, come, so here I am. And he lays out the gospel. Finally, Peter's convinced that this guy's the real deal and baptizes him into Christ. He took some buddies with him. He says, boy, we're in trouble when we get back to Jerusalem. You guys have got to tell what you saw happen here. God did a miracle because they had some splaining to do why they would baptize a Gentile. Can you imagine the, the racism and the prejudice that existed in that early church? But aren't you glad that Cornelius got saved and that his prayers were heard before he was saved? So I'm not saying requirements... In order to pray, anybody can pray. But I'm talking about requirements in prayer itself. The power in prayer, I don't know for you, but to me the power in prayer is the answer. Right? Why go through praying if I'm not expecting God to do something and answer my prayer? The power is not in the prayer itself. It's not in the act of praying. But it's in what prayer turns God on to do. When I pray, I'm, I'm praying to the God of the universe and I'm trying to lay hold of my Heavenly Father's power in heaven, get it down here to earth to help me and whatever it is I need help with. And sometimes I need help with a friend. Sometimes I need help with a family member. Sometimes I need help with a neighbor who's suffering with cancer or, or a grandson that has some issues or my own son that had some, a real bad start in life, physically. I'm laying hold of the Father's highest will and power to come down from heaven, to actively get involved in my need here on earth. And so, if we're going to look at the Lord's Prayer today, I think we ought to just go ahead and take a look at it. Let's read it real quick, and then we'll get in and break this thing down. After this manner, therefore, pray ye. I like the King James Version, I think. You know, you know, pray ye. We don't talk in Queen's English anymore. And 99.99999% of the time, I don't use King James, but I think there are just some verses that require it. You know, the 23rd Psalms, one of those good King James memorizations. And the Lord's Prayer falls into that category, at least for me. After this manner, therefore, pray ye. Our Father, which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done in earth as it is in heaven. Notice I capitalized earth and heaven. Do you see a connection there? I just talked about it. Is God's perfect will being done on earth as it is in heaven? Well, no. (laughs) Have you read the paper this morning? Have you watched the news last night? We live in one corrupt world where... Bad things happen to good, decent people all the time. Evil, crime, corruption, in government, everywhere, war. And there seems to be no rules on the battlefield anymore. 
So no, God's perfect will is not being done here on earth as it is being done in heaven. That's why God says, pray for it to happen. Do you see that? Pray that my will will be done here on earth, even as it is being done in heaven. It's not automatic, folks. You've got to pray for it. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory. For how long? Forever and ever and ever. Amen. Did you notice how that prayer started? I want to look at seven requisites in prayer this morning. But it started with a relationship. It started with a family relationship. In order for me to pray, Our Father, what must I be? A son or a daughter, right? Well, I thought you just got through saying that God only hears the prayers, you know, He hears the prayers of sinners. And they're not in the family yet. No, now He's changing the context a little. Now what He's talking about is those that are already in covenant relationship. In order to be in a covenant, and, and there's a sense that God is the Father of all because He created all. But you've got to choose to be in His family. Now, the disciples are in the family. And they come to Jesus and say, Lord, teach us to pray. So in this context, it makes sense. In order to pray with power and authority, we've got to be in a family relationship. We must understand that we are praying not only to the God of the universe, and He's one tremendous God. We're not only praying to the judge of all the world. Just think about that. But He's breaking it down and saying, okay, all those things are true, but this is equally true. He's your Father. You don't have to be afraid of your Heavenly Father. You're in a covenant family relationship. You've you got a Father that loves you more than His own comfort. You've got a Father that loves you as much as the only begotten Son. Now, in order for our prayers to be consistent, in order for our prayers to be powerful, we must realize who we pray to. Number two, I must have a sense of reverence. And so he sort of follows up that father concept with um, a sense of reverence that we're to have when we approach our father. There needs to be a certain amount of respect for who he really is. Reverence is an absolute requisite in prayer. Sometimes people get hold of the idea that God is their father, and like with any good thing, you can go wild with it, and you can go overboard with it and take God way too casually and you're not going to want to do that you want to use his name with reverence and with authority and not just go throughout the day saying omg 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 see what you've done I mean that's common language today right and what have you done you've taken the name of a holy God and you've lowered it to an oh wow Oh, wow. I'm going to use God's name as an oh, well, or even worse, a GD. You ever go to hang a picture? Whack! Hit the wrong nail, and your thumb is bleeding, and it's cracked, and you say, ah! and you take the name of a holy God and use it in such a 
unreverential way. There needs to be a sense of reverence in this name when we approach the Father. The fact that God's our Father is a good thing, but we better not go wild with it because He's also a righteous judge, the creator of the universe, and one, time, one day at the end of time, He's going to say, done, over. And this world, time will cease no more. Time will end. Time will be no more. It will cease, is what I'm trying to say. With a word. And so I never want to be flippant with my Heavenly Father. Uh, how many of you teenage, or when you were teenagers, you boys ever got flippant with your dad and maybe called him, made the mistake of calling him your old man like I did one time? I was only irreverent with my father one time in my life, and I remember it. You don't want to do that with your heavenly father. You don't want to do that with your earthly father. The fifth commandment says, honor your father and your mother. How much more the God and the father of us all. Number three, I must live with a concern for God's rule. This is very, very important. He says, thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Notice that phrase, thy kingdom come. What is he praying for here? I think what he's praying for, what is the kingdom of God today? What's the kingdom of God at least here on earth? Is it not the church? Is it not us? And so I think what he's praying for is that the borders of his kingdom get expanded throughout the world. He's praying for evangelism here in the Lord's Prayer. Wherever the kingdom of God is not currently on, the, on planet earth, pray that it gets, gets there. When was the last time you prayed for the Middle East? We get so tired of the war in the Middle East and, and you know, ISIS and Islamic terrorism. And Have we ever prayed, God, would you bring peace and bring Jesus Christ to Iran and Iraq and Afghanistan and to Saudi Arabia where they... Uh, I know there's corruption, I know, but Lord, you are the answer. It was just a few weeks back that we got Jonathan up here and got him prayed up and we sent him to be our representative to uh, Budapest, Hungary. Is that where he went? Have you been keeping up with the Cross Point News? LV each week um, says that she hounds, I mean, she talks to uh, Jonathan once a week and has him send something. So she can put it in the Cross Point News. And does she do a good job of that? And this last week, I was particularly impressed. I, I'm not going to read you the whole thing, but he asked. He gave us ten things to pray for, and I just want to mention one of them this morning because he says uh, the next two weeks will be prayer filled as we will be going to Slovakia for a week to a Roma Christian youth camp. Who, filled with prayer? He wants, he wants us to pray? Why? Because the Romas are generally known as gypsies. There are hundreds of Roma children who are ignored, mistreated, and left for dead by the government and Slavic people. I'll be at this camp starting July the 10th. We need to start praying for him now, and especially on July the 10th for that whole week. He says, my prayer is that the gospel will spread like brush fire. And we in Southern California know how those things can take off. Well, let's let the gospel do that in uh, Slovakia. 
And then he said, they're an interdependent people. Not independent, but interdependent people. And when one gets saved, often the whole family or even a town can get saved. This is similar to the story of the Samaritan woman at the well when the townspeople believed after listening to one person who had been rejected, and it was that woman at the well who would go to the well in the heat of the day, not in the cool of the morning. Why the heat of the day? Because she was one of those people. An outsider. And Jesus was there and says, Woman, would you give me a drink of water? And she says, Well, how being it you a Jew talk to me, a Samaritan, a half-breed. A Samaritan was half Jew, half Gentile. Jews don't have anything to do with us. We're outcasts we're gypsies right we're those people and he said if you knew who you were talking to you would ask of me for a drink of living water where you'd never have to drink you never thirst again and say "Ooh, give me that water and he says now he changes the subject where's your husband she says, oh i have none lord he says you're right because you've had five and you're in a live-in situation right now whoa Does she need the gospel? Yes. Is Jesus afraid to share the gospel and and expand the borders of his kingdom with outcast type people? Gypsies, Samaritans, outsiders, five husbands, a live-in. Does she need the gospel? Thy kingdom come. He's praying for this woman. Don't you know he's been praying in advance for this day? He knew... This day was coming because he tells his disciples, we must go through Samaria. They go, why? Who wants to go to that, that place? Jesus knew why. He sends them into town to buy some burgers and McDonald's and they'll be back soon. But he wanted this encounter with her, right? She says, I perceive you're a prophet. Good guess, girl. And I knew one day the Messiah is coming. And Jesus says, the one that just spoke to you. I am he. And the Bible says she got so excited about finding the Messiah. She ran back into town and she started telling everybody. And the whole town came out. And the whole town got saved. And after three days, they begged. See, Jesus stayed there for three days until the whole town got saved. I guess it took three days for the whole town to get saved. And they begged him, don't leave, stay. He says, no, there are other sheep, got to keep going. But because of this one woman, these Roma people, these outcasts, these gypsies, these people that have been mistreated, will you start praying today for them? Who's got closing prayer this morning? It doesn't say. My bulletin does not say. Well, whoever it is, you know who you are. Include Jonathan. Include this camp that he's going to. And that the kingdom of God will be expanded in Slovakia, especially among these people who need it so desperately. Number four, I must have a sense of dependence. Give us this day our, what kind of bread? Daily bread. I think we sometimes forget to thank God for what we earn. You know, we say, why should I thank God for this? I'm the one that put in the 40 hours this week, or 50 or 60 hours, some of you. 
or I'm the one that sat behind the computer and it was my superior intellect that came up with this computer program that helped our company get to the where it is today. Why should I thank God for that? Well, look at Deuteronomy chapter 8 and verse 18. Look what it says here. Is, it is God who gives the power to get wealth. Where did you get it from? God. Who gave you the hands to work with? Those of you that are mechanically inclined and know how to do stuff like that? God. Who gave you the feet to walk to work? God. Who gives you the very breath that you breathe? God. It is God who gives the power to get wealth. Notice he says, this day. You know, we don't have the right to ask for tomorrow's bread. Right? He says, give us this day our daily bread. Nowhere in the Bible is tomorrow's bread promised. Did you know that? Show me that verse if you can find it. I've been unable to find that verse. But I know he's promised daily bread. Now, if Jesus promises daily bread, do you think we have to worry about tomorrow's bread? The answer is no. Why? Because we're praying for daily bread, and I think it ought to be a morning prayer. Good morning, Lord, after you say good morning to God. Uh, God, give me this day my daily bread. And what do you think your evening prayer should be? Thank you, God, for the daily bread that you provided today. And, you know, if you look back in history, there's been famines, there's been wars, there's been all kinds of things But Christians have come through. And they'll tell miraculous stories about how God cared for His people. We looked last week at that widow that Elijah went to. And every day she opened the cupboard and there was that meal again and again and again until the famine was over. God has promised daily bread. If you're one of His, you will be taken care of by God. And then I have to have a need for... Well, maybe a sense of sinfulness, number five. Verse 12 says, forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And, and the point I always make on this verse is it's so easy to pray the first part of that prayer. Lord, forgive me. I'm a mess. You know my hurts, my habits, my hang-ups, you know, you know the things that I've overcome, and yet you know all the other things that I've yet to overcome. Would you forgive me? when I mess up. Now try this. Now Lord, with all that said, um, would you forgive me the same way I'm forgiving other people that mess up? That's a little harder, isn't it? Because we're not nearly as forgiving of others as we are of ourselves. Have you noticed we're a whole lot more critical and condemning of people that have sins that we don't have? Have you noticed that? If we don't have a problem with a particular area, but somebody else has a problem with that, we're quick to point the finger. But when it comes to maybe our sins, our secret sins, in an audience of this size, there may be some people in here that have an addiction to pornography. And you say, I don't have that issue. That's not a problem of mine. And they feel a sense of shame, and they wish if I could push the button, it would go away. And we'd say, oh, I would never deal with somebody like that. Well, it may not be your issue, but it's their issue. Pray for them. And if they come to you and confess, forgive them and encourage them and help them. And sometimes one of the best things to hear when you've really messed up is, and and you've poured your heart out. I've had men come to me and confess 
some really terrible things that they've done. And I said, have you asked God to forgive? Yes, many times. Why do you still feel guilty? I don't know, I just do. I said, well, let's ask him one more time. And, I, and they've got tears in their eyes confessing a sin that they hadn't committed in years, but they're pouring it all out. And I said, now thank him. You've asked him to forgive you. You believe he will? Yeah. Well, thank him. And when the prayer's all over, you know what I always like to do? Put my arm on him and say, you are forgiven. And they'll tell me later, you'll not believe what that did for me. Just hearing a human voice, feeling a human touch. I need to have, a, I think, a healthy sense of my own sinfulness. I know what I'm capable of, and you know what you're capable of. And when we have a sense, a healthy sense of our own sinfulness, it helps us to be a whole lot more forgiving of other people and their sins. Amen? And then number six, I must understand my need for guidance. 13a, and lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. That word deliver means ek, or out this way. I need deliverance. Now notice he didn't say, never bring me in close contact with the devil. He did not say that. Because if that's what he said, then it would be impossible for us to go out in a sinful world and lead sinners to Jesus, right? And so that's not what he's saying to pray here. He's saying, though, as you go out into the world to influence folks for Jesus... You're not going to be living in a shell. You're going to be in hand-to-hand, face-to-face combat with Satan because very often that will take you into places where there may be great temptation. And so we're going to have to pray for deliverance. But we're not going to get the deliverance if we don't understand our need for it. That's why Jeremiah will say this in Jeremiah 10.23. The way of man is not in himself. It is not in man that walks to direct his own steps. I believe that's true. I cannot take one step on my own without the guidance of God helping me. I've tried living without God. It doesn't work. Man needs direction. I can't take one step in the right direction without the help of Jesus. And then number seven, he wraps this whole thing up with this. Give me one more point here and we'll... We'll let you go enjoy your holiday weekend, all right? Looks like a number of people went and enjoyed their holiday weekend early. (laughs) We're going to pray for them, right? (laughs) For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. There needs to be a sense of praise in our prayers. Now, I've listened to me pray, and on occasion I've listened to you pray, And I must admit, this is one area in our prayer life that I think we are lacking in. Now, we're not missing it. I just think we're kind of lacking in this area. Uh, The real praising of God. You know, if you pray for a while, you will get around to praising God. You might want to try this sometime. Well... I know this is going to be hard. 
You know, we sing that, or we used to sing that song, sweet hour of prayer, sweet hour of prayer. We, talk, we sing about a sweet hour of prayer, but most of us would just rather have a little talk with Jesus, right? Now, not all of you are going to get that because you don't have our songbook. You may have went to another tradition, another church that sang a different song, but those of you from our community, group, whatever, understand that. When was the last time you spent an hour in prayer? And you think, well, I don't know if I know, have enough to say if I spent a whole hour in prayer. And I'm so busy, I don't know what happened. Well, when you get some time alone, when you're on vacation, when it's just you and God and nature, and you say, you know, I'm, I'm going to take that preacher up. I'm going to spend a sweet hour in prayer. Nothing says you've got to be saying something all the time. Why don't you pray for five or ten minutes and then just stop? And think about what you prayed about. The psalmist did that all the time. He uses the word in one of the psalmists. I forget which one it is. And I pondered. You ponder on what you say. And maybe you're talking to God. You're talking about His glory. Maybe you're talking about His kingdom. Maybe you're talking about a need that you have. And you say it a certain way. Then you stop and you think about what you just prayed and said. And you say... No, Lord, I don't really mean that. Here's, here's really more specifically what I'm asking for. Here's really what I mean. Because you ponder it a little bit. And then you pray for five or ten more minutes and, and you ponder. I guarantee you, you will not pray for 30, 35 minutes before your prayer really becomes praise to God. You know why? Because now you've gotten rid of all the the contrite prayers, the memorized prayers that you grew up with, all the stuff that you're normally used to saying. And now you get down to where prayer really becomes genuine praise to God. And that's what He wants. He wants our quiet times to really be meaningful and a connection there. Let's wrap it all up. Now, if I want my prayer life to be effective and not boring. Here it is. Number one, I know I'm praying to, or not praying to an iron ceiling, I am praying to a loving Father. I know that He is one tremendous God, and so I approach Him as my reverend Father. Number three, I want Him to rule in my life, and I want Him to rule in your life, and so there are, therefore I pray that the kingdom of God is spread throughout the world and that it will come and then number four i need him for bread i need him for shoes i need him for breath i need him for everything and so there's that sense of dependence and i realize that i'm a sinner and that you're a sinner and therefore we need him for forgiveness i'm in the midst of evil every day and i don't think i'm revealing anything new to any of you this morning 2017 planet earth is a very evil, wicked place. Therefore, I need him for deliverance. And then finally, because I am a child of God, I ought to praise him. For his is the kingdom, and his is the power, and his is the glory forever and ever. Amen. But it all starts with him being my father, or my 
daughter. You've got to go to him. You can do that today. Let's pray about it right now. You know, you can become a child of God this morning, this very morning. All you've got to do is talk to God openly and honestly the way that He wants you to. And your biggest problem, whatever your biggest problem is in life right now, is not your biggest problem if your sin problem is still there. And Jesus is eager to take it away. Just admit, say, God, I am a sinner, and I need your forgiveness, and I want to become your son, and I want to become your daughter today. I repent of my sins, and I'm trusting your son, Jesus Christ, to get me from this planet to heaven one day. And I pray this prayer in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, before I let you go, our prayer room is open. Some of you are here today and said, I just prayed that prayer, but I'm not really sure what all that means. I've got a couple of people that want to talk to you about that. Others say, you know, I've got a more specific need. I am a child of God. I am a Christian. I know I'm saved. I know I'm going to heaven. But I, got, I need to get prayed up in some other areas of my life. When we're dismissed here in just a moment, I'm going to ask you to go to our prayer room. And the rest of us, I want you to greet one another, hug one another, so we can make it through another week. Amen? All right. Stand up. You're dismissed. Have a great holiday weekend.